thank you everyone for tuning in to another episode of the Georgia Music Teachers Association podcast, where we highlight the stories and achievements of Georgia music teachers. My name is Bebe Lin, Vice President of Membership with GMTA. If you are a music teacher in Georgia who would like to learn more about our organization, please go to georgiamta.org. And now without further delay, let's get to our interview. Today, we are joined by Diane Lawler-Johnson. Hello, Diane. Hi, baby. How are you? I'm good. Thank you so much for taking the time out to speak with me. Let's get started with our first question, which is, tell me about what you do and how you got to where you are today. Well, what I do at the present time is teach privately in my home. But the way I got here <laughs> was a long journey. Um, when I was a little girl, my mother, who was a piano and voice teacher, actually started me on this journey. And she actually told me that she heard me singing in the womb. So I guess I picked it up that early. I don't know. But she liked to think that. And then she, she taught me a little piano. And because she taught at home, I would pick up things, you know, that she would teach the students. And we always sang. We sang in the car. And then I would go and climb trees and sing to the birds. And then we, because we lived away from the city, you know, I had cows and horses and chickens and things to sing to, too. And so I just would entertain myself and entertain the animals and some of them ran away and some of them stayed around. Um, sometimes the dogs would howl with me. But anyway, um, so I was always singing and dancing and trying to put on shows and, you know, entertaining anybody that would watch. And then my grandmother, my dad's mom, lived about a mile from us and she had a piano in her living room. It's a big living room. Piano was at one end. And whenever I would stay with her, there was nothing else to do but to you know, spend time at the piano and sing and play. And I would take some of her music and put it up on the piano and try to make it a game to see if I could figure out what it was. And sometimes I would play it. Sometimes I would sing it. So it was, you know, it was my entertainment. And she also had a big basement with a, a um, picnic table down there. So on occasion, I would go down there and um, because my mother had given me dance, dance lessons and um, I enjoyed performing, I would go down there and invent little shows. And when my friends would come over to visit, we would use the costumes from the dance uh, company and we would put on our little you know, presentations. And of course, if there were ever any family gatherings, my grandmother would have me stand up there and she would say, come on here and let me play for you and you sing. So if it's Christmas or Thanksgiving or somebody's birthday, you know, so in a sense, I was sort of groomed for this life <laughs> of singing and performing and, and whatever. But um, once... I started voice lessons in Birmingham. My mother would have to drive me 45 minutes to actually have these lessons. I just took to it. I remember my very first lesson with Mrs. Pumphrey. And she said, Diane, what kind of music would you like to sing? And I said, well, what's the best? And she said, well, opera. So I said, okay, that's what I want to do. 
So we did musical theater, we did opera, we did classical, and she had taught in universities before. So she was, um, you know, rather knowledgeable and she was very encouraging. She was not uh, one of these lovey-dovey, everything I did was right, but she said, do this, do this, do this. And if I did it and it was correct, she would tell me, you know, but I never felt unsupported or that she was disapproving of me. It was always, she was guiding me very, very steadily and, and gently and firmly. And uh, as a result of her encouragement and training and my mother's and from singing in the church choir where we had um, the luxury of a choir director and voice teacher from the University of Montevallo uh, as our director. So he also had an influence on me from the very, you know, from very young. And he would have me sing some solos. And also I would accompany sometimes the youth choir. And um, sometimes in the summer when we had the uh, vacation Bible school, they would call on me to, to help with the music. So I've always been involved with music, I guess, from way, way, way back. And then whenever I was a little older, my voice teacher, my high school voice teacher, encouraged me to go out for the Junior Miss pageant because she said, you can win a scholarship if you do this. And so I thought, well, that's a good thing to do. So I did. And I won a scholarship to study with her and also to attend the University of Montevallo, which was in my hometown. And I really had no desire to go there at the time. However, there was an excellent voice teacher there named Dr. Benjamin Middaw. So uh, when I was a senior in high school, I had sung in the summer with the bicentennial program in Birmingham. And whenever I did the audition for the Bicentennial Pageant, the director of the University of Montevallo Theater Department was at the audition. And he invited me to come up and audition for the musical that they were going to perform that next year at the university. And I thought, oh, this would be wonderful. You know, I would just be so happy to sing in the chorus at the university because here I am a high school student. We didn't even have a chorus at our high school. So I went to the audition and amazingly, he cast me in the role of Magnolia in Showboat, opposite Dr. Benjamin Middaw, who was the professor at the university, who was going to be the Ravenel. And I was just totally floored. I thought, how can I do this? But the theater director, Dr. Chichester, was just so encouraging. He said, oh, no, you can do this. So I believed in myself because he believed in me. And so um, I started, you know, I performed that year when I was a senior in high school. And then I went on to the, univers to the University of Montevallo for two years. Um, and then I just needed to leave home. So I transferred to Converse College. And the reason I went there was because I had spent a summer at Brevard Music Center after my freshman year, um, I was just seeking places to perform and I knew that they had an opera program. So after one year or one summer at Brevard, um, I found out about the faculty at Converse College. So I wrote to them, I found out about the voice program, the opera program, and I knew that they had a wonderful 
music program there. And the voice teachers were very connected with other programs and, and opera companies. So I auditioned and, and transferred to Converse after my sophomore year. Unfortunately, I had to leave Dr. Middaw behind, except for when I would go home during the summer or if I would go at Christmas time, I would always go back to him because he was such a wonderful technician. So then uh, four, after four years there, I performed a lot in the opera programs and scenes programs. And I was assistant director to the opera, opera director there, uh, John Richards McRae, who also was in charge of the opera program at Brevard Music Center. So I was able to also perform at Brevard on scholarship. And I did a couple of roles there. And then after graduating from undergrad at Converse, I auditioned for the University of Illinois. And um, well, actually before that, I went to Graz, Austria through the Ames program for that summer right after college. And then I went to the University of Illinois for my master's and lo and behold, I ended up studying with a woman named Frances Crawford who had attended the University of Montevallo and studied voice with my church choral director. And she was a wonderful singer and a wonderful person, but you know, I was thinking I was getting away from home, but no, <laughs> there she was. And she was, she was a wonderful encourager and supporter and just gave me so much encouragement and showed me how to be a friend with students as well as their teachers. So I, you know, I learned a lot from every one of my teachers. It was really interesting. And um, it's, you know, it's hard to, to think back about all the people that have had so much of an influence on my life. But there have been many. And so after graduating from the University of Illinois with my master's, my dad said, you're going to need to support yourself now. So I went job seeking and I ended up at Jacksonville State University, which is in the northeast corner of Alabama. And it's only an hour and a half from Birmingham, which was very nice because I could still go to Birmingham for certain events, to go to the opera, or I could come to Atlanta to, to see the opera and take my students to these, to these events. And also because Southern Regional Opera was located in Birmingham and my former voice teacher, Dr. Minaw, was the, the opera director. So he invited me to audition for some roles there and I was able to perform with them three, I think for three or four seasons. And so I was teaching and driving over to Birmingham to do roles and then coming back and trying to teach again, which, you know, that's called burning your candle at both ends. But I loved every minute of it because I was doing what I wanted to do. And I taught at Jacksonville State for nine years. And then during the summers, I would go and perform either at Lake George Opera Festival or Brevard Music Center or wherever I could, I could find, um, you know, if I had auditioned and, and been granted some sort of, of uh, an apprenticeship or whatnot. So after um, being at Jacksonville State for nine years, then I, my life did a big shift 
and I ended up teaching for two years at the University of Alabama, which was a thrill because I'm a big Alabama supporter. And after that, I went to teach for one year at an arts high school in Montgomery. And in the meantime, I had met my husband and he made me an offer I couldn't refuse. And so we married and I moved over here to Georgia and basically started my teaching and singing career all over again. Um, by this time, by that, by that time, I was not doing as much singing, but primarily teaching. And I've always maintained a private studio, even when I was teaching on the university level, because I just love teaching different ages. Um, you know, there's so many things that um, you learn both from your students and, and as part of your teaching as you go along. And I find that certain things work for certain age groups and certain experience that students bring to you and ways that you can help them. And so it's always interesting just to, uh, for me to, to work with so many different levels of development musically and also different age groups because the voice is different at every age and, and um, what you can do at certain ages is different. So after I came to Georgia, I was fortunate enough to make contact with some wonderful teachers here. And I was invited to teach at um, a small university on the north side of town here at Truett McConnell. And from there, um, I was invited to teach at Shorter University. I was there for about six years. And then I taught at Brunel University for five years. And then I con concluded my university teaching at Columbus State University uh, in 2018. So I was there for 10 years. And now I'm back at home teaching privately. And I think that covers pretty much everything to this point. Yeah, I think one of the most striking things about your story in your account is how active you were in seeking out performance opportunities, even from the very beginning as a young child. And then throughout your career, you know, you're constantly talking about having opportunities to perform. I wonder if you can elaborate a little more on that and this um, kind of innate desire to perform. And um, if you can answer whether or not you've ever faced any sort of performance anxiety, or is that something that just comes so naturally to you that you it's not a concern for you? Well, I don't know if it just is part of my personality that I like to perform or it's because my, you know, it's the nature or nurture thing where my, my parents and my, and my grandmothers and different people at church kept telling me that they enjoyed what I did and they kept encouraging me. And then people would ask me to sing here and ask me to sing there. And I felt like I was, I, I felt fulfilled that I was bringing joy to other people. And also, you know, that I was fulfilling, I guess, what I was supposed to do. I don't know why, but, but that's part of, I guess, my, my guess as to why I would do it. But I loved it. And I guess I loved the attention, you know. Uh, I was the only girl in our family. And you sort of have to fight for your rights. <laughs> but as far as performance anxiety, when I was little, I don't remember having any. I would get excited 
And once I started performing, you know, I was okay. As I got older and I knew more and the more I taught and I would, I guess I would think too much. I remember feeling nervous, but again, I kept saying, you know, this is fun. This is playtime. This is go out there and just do it. And if I could keep my mind in that vein, then it seemed like the nerves went away as soon as I started to sing. Being involved with Nats auditions and one thing or another, you know, sometimes I guess you can get yourself all worked up. But I remember thinking I would guess do a lot of self-talk, maybe not knowing that I was doing it, but you know, oh, I've done this before and I've done this before, and this is gonna be fun and I'm gonna win. <laughs> so and of course I didn't always win, but I did win a lot of times. So that was encouraging too, because you got the reward for, for what you did. And whether it was applause or somebody's pat on the back, or if it was actually a, a certificate or some money, uh, that was very nice, you know, encouragement to keep doing that. And because it was fun and I enjoyed doing it, um, that was another reason, I guess. Did I answer your question? Yeah. So the other part of your career is a lot of teaching. Can you elaborate on that? How do you approach teaching? What is your teaching philosophy? Primarily, I try to meet each student, well, find out where they are. If, you know, have they had any background in, in piano or any other type of instrument? Can they match a pitch? because I've had some students that have had difficulty with that. And we have to start with square one, plank the note or sing it into their ear. And can they actually sing that note? Sometimes they can't. And we have to figure out, you know, it's sort of like being a detective. You have to figure out what's going to click with them and what's going to help them learn. So I think my philosophy is start with the point at which the student is able to do something and then go from there. And sometimes it takes some fishing. You know, you have to try this, you have to try this, you have to try this. And finally you figure, okay, that's what means something to them. And then you go from there and lead them from that point on. There are students though that, you know, especially on the college level, a lot of times they've had previous teaching so that they, they know theory, they can play piano somewhat. Usually if they're a singer, they have sometimes limited skills, sometimes better skills, but most of them have sung in chorus and they can match pitch and they can sight read to a certain extent. And so then you're able to start them at a little higher level than you would if it was a 10 year old student who is taking the you know, beginning piano and they just like to sing. So you have to um, start wherever they are and they go from there. And of course, if it's a more, more advanced student, I don't wanna say a more talented student because you never know where each student is going to go. You know, someone who has a lot of talent but doesn't put the work in may not succeed or may not be able to advance into more difficult repertoire or more advanced performance skills. If, if they don't put the work in. So 
anyway, my, my philosophy is to start the student wherever they are or begin wherever they are and try to take them gently, steadily with firm but gentle encouragement as far as they can go or are willing to, to work to get. And I think my job is to believe in them and let them know that and be their cheerleader and also guide them musically with as much kindness and encouragement as possible. But you never know. There have been students that came in my door and I'm thinking, oh boy, this is going to be a big challenge. And they turned out to be some of my best students. And then some of the ones that come in and, oh, you know, I can sing this, I can sing this. And then they don't put the work in and they just don't, they don't mature or accomplish nearly what they could. And then there are those, those students that they love it, they want it, they'll do what I ask them to do, they work hard, and we have so much fun. But I do try to have fun with every student because I think that if, if they enjoy what they're doing, they're going to want to do it more and they're going to work harder and they're going to not put themselves down if they don't do as well as they want to, but they'll keep trying. And also, if, if they have those little goals out there to work toward that are attainable, then that's going to be more and more encouraging to them. And it also helps just their general confidence level. I've had parents come to me and say, you know, Susie's just so much more confident than she used to be. I'm like, yeah, because she's been working hard and she's standing up here and she, she has a sense that she can do this. So it's, you know, it's a lot of fun. And when the student leaves the lesson each time, I try to reiterate before they leave. Now, you remember, this is what we did and this was really good. And I want you to continue working on that so that anytime they leave the student, the studio, that student is going to feel like I succeeded in something in this lesson. To me, that's important, you know, even if it was just standing up there and not raising their shoulders when they start to sing, or, or if it's um, singing a, a phrase that's a little bit more difficult with more, you know, volume or more beauty or more or better phrasing. If there's something that I can point out to them and they can be proud of when they leave, I think that's a good lesson. This follow-up question will reveal my ignorance, but what age do you recommend students who are interested in taking voice lesson to start? Generally, I, I think it's better if the student is around junior high age. However, I have taken students younger than that. I have a 10-year-old student now who has, she does beautifully, and of course, I don't try to push her voice. I don't ask her to sound like she's 30 years old by any means. Um, so we just do music and exercises that are appropriate to her voice and to her age. I have had a, I have had a student as young as eight, which I wouldn't have taken her except that I was given her at a, an art school here in Georgia where I, I taught when I first moved over. And by the time she was 11, she was really kind of burned out. And so I think sometimes it's better to start them a little bit later. And as the voice is starting to mature, some in the olden days, people said, well, no, they should never take voice until they've gone 
through puberty? Well, I think that if you have a teacher who is knowledgeable of the young voice, they can guide them gently through that period and the voice will be fine. There won't be any injury to it and the voice will actually develop better. But I don't advocate actual uh, voice lessons that are bent to or geared toward volume and trying to sound as loud as they can whenever they're really young because that's not health, healthy for the voice. So you have to be really careful, I think, with the younger voices especially and just you know choose songs within a limited range. But they can learn things like uh, good stage deportment, good diction, how to breathe correctly, you know, don't raise your shoulders and use your personality. And usually the young ones are so into expressiveness. So it's so much fun to work with them. And you can talk about, now, how would you say that if you were excited and they'll sing it or they'll say it that way. And then they can, you can guide them, you know, into expressing their, their music in that way. So it keeps it fun. Again, you want to keep it fun. I think no matter what age you are. How do you define success? What does success mean to you? Well, success for myself as a teacher, as a voice teacher, is seeing my students progress and gain confidence and feel like they can, they can perform in front of other people. Um, sometimes it takes a while and sometimes we, we have to take small victories before we get where we want to go. But not every student's going to be a performer, but if they can learn to sing well and even you know, participate in choral organization or their church choir and feel like they're contributing and they're using their voice and they're enjoying it, but mainly that they're using their voice in a healthy manner in a musical way, then that, that is my success. And of course, it's wonderful if my students go and win NAS auditions or the Metropolitan Opera auditions, which some of them have. But even on a, you know, a more local level, if a student feels like they've accomplished something by you know, memorizing a song and being able to stand up and perform it, in front of other people, that's a monumental occasion sometimes. So, you know, I think the main thing is if the student enjoys it and feels like they've accomplished something, then that's, that's success for me and also for them. What recommendations do you have for parents to help their students succeed in music? I have found that most students, most children, are so very much influenced by their parents. And if their parents like something or encourage something, whether they vocalize that or not, the, the children will pick up on it and they will either really go for it or they'll shy away from it. It's something that the parent is not really into. It's not really encouraging. So my advice to parents is if you want your child to do well, then encourage them, support them, help them listen to good music and go to performances and work well with the, with the teacher, whether it's voice or piano or strings or whatever it is. I think it's just so important for parents to 
let the child know that they really do appreciate their efforts. And if they're not, maybe they're not singing as well as they want to, but they're making progress. If the parents can be their cheerleader too, then that encouragement goes such a long way. Here's a follow-up question to that. What recommendations do you have for students who want to become singers? You know, because a lot of young uh, students, they, they see uh, pop stars or uh, musicians or they watch TV and television and movies and they're influenced by that. And it nurtures a love for music, but what steps can they take to really get into the professional world of music? Well, that's a two-pronged question. And my niece asked me that a long time ago. <laughs> she said, Aunt Diane, I want to be, I want to be famous. What do I do to be famous? <laughs> I said, well, first of all, you learn your music. You want to learn how to read notes. You want to know how to write notes. You want to know how to play piano or play some instrument so that you can, you don't have to depend on anyone else and you know what you're doing. So when, when students want to become successful, it's important that they can be also as independent as possible, even though they're going to need other people to, to help them at one point or another. But I think every student needs to have a good basic understanding of theory and keyboard or strings or some other instrument. And also it's, in the choral, in the high school choral programs now, I think they're using a lot of the solfege, which is helpful, especially for those students who are not pianistically oriented. But a good choral program in the high school and or the church is very important for a young person to, to get into. And little by little, they will be gathering information that they can put together to help them to become a better musician, a better singer in general. And then whenever they've developed their good technique, then they can start doing auditions and they can either write their own music or depending on what area of music they want to go into, whether it's pop or if it's classical, of course, generally, I, I of course, recommend a college music program so that you can hone your skills even better and you've got a, a sort of a, a more broad field as far as opportunities to perform and to hear more music and to learn different styles and that sort of thing, which I guess is possible to get that without the university setting, but I think it's almost just a, an encapsulated resource there that students can go to if they don't go the university or college route, then of course they have to seek out individual teachers that would help them with the theory or the instrumental um, background that would help them vocally. That's, that's the way I would say. And then of course, go out and do auditions, meet people, perform. And one thing will lead to another because wherever your strength is, I think you're gonna be drawn to that. And you'll also be drawn to the people that are in that field. And if you don't, if you're, if you're not near those people, then you seek them out. The reason I went to Brevard, I saw a bullet, something on a bulletin board and I said, I'm gonna try for that. So you just have to seek out opportunities and see where they lead. Great, thank you for that. 
Do you have any suggestions for how we can expand and grow audiences for classical music? Well, that's the challenge right now, I think, because we don't hear that much classical music on the radio when we flip on the dial. <laughs> uh, most stations don't carry that and we have to kind of seek it out. But I would say that once students are, in my experience, once students are exposed to classical music, they realize there's something special here. They either really are, they gravitate to it or they're turned off, but most of the time they're, they're gravitating to it. And for my own students, taking them to the Atlanta Opera or taking them to a musical or taking them to a concert is one of the best ways to get them interested. And, and the, the teacher and the parents being excited about it is very, very helpful. So I think, you know, once you take them and they realize what it is, then they'll tell their friends and then little by little, maybe they'll invite others to go with them and then they go back. That to me is probably that sort of hands-on and word of mouth is probably the best way to grow an audience. I would also hope that there can be more and more online performances and PBS performances of vocal recitals and musicals and operas and of course, I'm speaking from the vocal standpoint primarily, but more classical music in general on television and on other kind of media, because that's where the kids are now. They're, they're glued to their phones or they're glued to the computers and sometimes the television. Great. Thank you for that. I've really enjoyed our conversation. Thank you for your insights. Thank you for sharing your life with us, uh, with me and our listeners. I hope this has been an enjoyable conversation for you as well. And I wish you happy teaching and happy students. Thank you.